We're going to be in chapter 10. We're going to be going through verses 38 through 42. All right, chapter 10, 38 through 42. It's on the screen here behind me. And I give thanks for this chance for us to be able to journey through the gospel together. Hear the word of the Lord. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had been made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. We're beginning a new series this week as we've just finished up our series called The Way, where for five weeks we were talking about what does it mean to, to journey along the way, to follow the labyrinth, like the symbol that's laid out here on the floor. Um, after we did those five weeks of preaching and studying, we had our Commitment Sunday last week, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your overwhelming support. Um, you heard from Curran who said, our goal is that 100% of our church families will take a next step in faith. Take some next step, whether that's in your prayer life or a next step to be present in worship or in a small group. Taking a next step, whether that's by contributing to the work we do here financially, whether that's the next step by saying, I'm going to be a witness in the world. And, and on this past Commitment Sunday, we had our best response we've had since I've been a pastor here. And so I give thanks for that. We still have a, thank you very much. Yeah, amen. Give, your, give the church a round of applause. Amen. We still have a ways to go to be able to reach our goals. And we know that at Dauphin Way, sometimes it takes some time for us to be, get to where we want to be. You know, I, I don't, I, I've become a mobilian in that, you know, I'm, I'm not always on time to things. Uh, I, I drink a lot of coffee now and I never drank coffee before I moved to Mobile. Um, and so we recognize that. And so we have many weeks to go as we finish out our follow-up. If you have not yet turned in your card, your commitment card to what that next step is for you. There's still plenty of time to do so. And we ask and encourage you to think about that for your family, to pray about that. And I really enjoyed that series because I think it sets up a bright future for us, a, a way for us to talk about what it means to take steps in faith. And we'll use that language a lot. That's the language you'll hear us talk about in Dauphin 101. That's the language you'll hear us talk about when we start new small groups and Bible studies. What does it mean to be on the way? What does it mean to participate in the life of discipleship? And we're starting a series today that is an example of that, of people who have been on the way, who were on the way, who have been beacons for us that we can look to and follow. We're starting a series as we conclude our Christian calendar this year that will take us to Advent. The next three weeks will be in a series that will conclude whenever we begin the Christian year anew on the first week of Advent. And it's going to be a series about the saints. A series about saints. And you might be wondering, what's the United Methodist pastor doing preaching about saints? I didn't even know we believed in saints in the Methodist church. Well, we actually do. 
We do believe in saints, but not in the same manner as other traditions like the Catholic Church might believe in them. We do not pray to saints, and we do not believe they serve as mediators between us and God. As United Methodists, we believe there's one God and there's only one mediator between us and God, and that's Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about saints, when we refer to saints, we're talking about people who've exemplified a Christian life. People who we can look to who have lived a life like Jesus. In a sense, every Christian can be a saint. There are people in your own life that you might think are, are saintly figures, right? People who maybe were your role models in the faith, people who brought you to church, maybe your parents, maybe your mentors, maybe your pastors. I always say, I, I know two saints for sure in my life, my wife and my sister. If there's, a, if there's a line in heaven that saints get to go first, they're at the front, right? And so who are the people in your life that might consider, you might consider to be those saintly figures? Because we don't have an official election to the sainthood. We don't have a status or an order. But we believe that there are qualities about a person that we can look at and say, that person lived a saintly life. That person showed us what it's like to be like Christ. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to consider, what does it mean to be a saint? What are some of the qualities that saints have? And how can we emulate those in our own lives? How can we be like the saints? To where one day, whenever we are gone from this earth, someone might remember us and say, that person was a saint in my life. This morning, I want to begin by focusing on what we affirm almost every week at at least one of our services. In our traditional service, sometimes here in our contemporary service, we just sang about it. In our 820 chapel service, it's right now in the sanctuary. At least one of our service, and sometimes all of them, every week we make this affirmation. I believe in the communion of the saints. And so what does that mean? And that's what I want to preach about this morning. So if you'll allow me, let us consider the communion of the saints. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen, indeed. If I give out my voice a little hoarse, you know, being at family camp, yelling during those family Olympics yesterday, my team came in second. I'm pretty excited about that, but, you know, we won in first place. But um, we do pray for and remember all those who are at family camp this morning. We put out less chairs thinking, you know, everybody's going to be at family camp. And no, I'm so thankful that you are here this morning. I'm so thankful. We can just, let's clap for everything today. We're just clapping. I love it. I love the enthusiasm, the excitement. We do pray for those who are there, but I, I, we had worship last night in Lambeth Chapel. And if you've ever been to Blue Lake, you'll know Lambeth Chapel is a, it's a beautiful, old, old, old wooden building where the sound just reverberates and people are singing and it's just really pretty. And I was preaching this same sermon last night to everybody there. And as I was preaching it, I realized that it fit real well with the theme there at, we'd already written the sermon, but it fit real well with the theme for family camp about rest and finding your rest. And so maybe even though you're not there right now, you are here. I hope that today in this moment, while we're in worship, you experience a sense of rest. And I hope you help me rethink the character of Martha. Have you ever read this story before? 
and you read it as a story, it was like, this, Martha is the person that, that I don't want to be like, and Mary is the person I do want to be like. The story we just read from Luke's gospel. Have you, I, I mean, because like, I kind of think, I kind of think that Martha got a bad rap. I think she still gets a bad rap. It's funny that, that you know, Kat had this very story in her journal this weekend, and we hadn't talked about it. We didn't plan this. And for her, and the story meant uh, something very different than, than as I was reading this. It's amazing what scripture can do, right? You can read, two different people can read the same scripture and it means something completely different. And so in the context of family camp, in the context of rest, we often read this story and think, Martha's too busy. Martha just needs to calm down. Mary is sitting there at Jesus' feet and Jesus commends her and says, she's doing what she's supposed to, Right? Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. We think of her as a protagonist. We often think of Martha as the antagonist. We think of like, you know, Martha is the one who is overlooking what is most important. Mary understands the righteousness of what it means to be present. That's how we think about this story. Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet and Martha's running around trying to get dinner ready. And she's like, why isn't my sister helping me? Mary isn't listening, and so, so Jesus is sitting there with Mary, and, and Martha's like, Jesus, please tell Mary to help me with dinner. Please tell Mary to get up and, and help me do the things that we need to do. And then Jesus sounds like a character from the Brady Bunch, right? Martha, Martha, Martha. For those of you who have never seen the Brady Bunch, I see some of our younger church people. The Brady Bunch was a TV show that you could not stream. It came on television. And... Um, there's a character named Marsha, and so that's where that joke probably didn't land with you. Um, and so we, we tend to, to focus on, on Mary as the being present one. We chastise Martha for being busy. But I would like to make the case for Martha. I'd like to make the case for us to reconsider Martha, because if you think about it, this entire encounter would not be possible if it were not for Martha. We wouldn't be able to have this story if Martha wasn't exuding some saintly qualities. This is how the passage begins, and, and maybe you caught this when I was reading it just a moment ago. The passage begins, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. Martha opened up her home to Jesus. It doesn't say it was Mary's house. Mary just kind of seems like the freeloading sister you can't get rid of, right? I mean, you've got those people in your life. Maybe it's your, your cousins who come to stay for a weekend and then they're just there. You know, everybody loves Raymond kind of style. People just come over to your house and stay. That's kind of how Mary kind of seems. It doesn't say it's Lazarus's house, who's their brother. Normally it's the male in the ancient Near Eastern stories in the first century in these Jewish new, new, uh, turn of the century stories is the male who owns the house. But this, this is Martha's house. Martha is the one who sees this itinerant preacher walking around on foot throughout Israel. And he doesn't seem to be strapped with cash to pay for hotel rooms. Other times in the gospel, we hear about how other people pay Jesus's bills for him, often the women. Often the women that travel with him pay Jesus's bills. And here's Martha who says, Jesus, why don't you come stay at my house? She she shows him what I think is one of the main qualities we can celebrate about the saints today, the quality of hospitality. She welcomes Jesus into her home. And I don't discount our typical reading of the story. Yes, Martha does eventually lose sight of what's most important. But aren't we all a lot like Martha? 
I think we actually probably identify with Martha more often than we identify with Mary. Let, let, let's be honest. Because I want to give us a little bit of credit here. At some point in our lives, most of the people in this room, you, you probably welcomed Jesus into your heart. There might have been a moment in your life where you said, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Maybe it was your confirmation moment. Maybe it was sometime at a, at a youth retreat or a camp. Maybe that hasn't happened for you yet, and I pray that it does. I pray there's a time where you say you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life. And if you want to talk about that more, I'd love to do that with you. But there's a time that we, like Martha, said, Jesus, let me offer you an invitation. I want to welcome you into my life. And we, we learned, we felt like what it was to show hospitality, to, to be like a saint. But then life got in the way. Then we had to go here and there and everywhere. Then we had to, you know, be at this practice or we had to be at this work event. And then we had to get this grade. And then we had to do this for our kids. And then we, and we just kind of forgot Jesus was there, Right. You welcome Jesus into your life, but then at some point, you just kind of forget that he's there. But when I think of Martha, and I hope when we, we leave here today, when we look at this story in the future, I hope we won't just think of her as the person who got busy. Because I hope you don't think of yourself just as the person who got busy. <laughs> I hope we look at Martha and we think, she has the quality that I, I want to have more often that I have felt at least once in my life. I want to be able to show hospitality. Jesus said, whenever you welcome the stranger, whenever you show hospitality to the least of these, you are doing it to me. Amen. We want to be a people who show welcome and love. Maybe it's just like Martha. Maybe it's as simple as opening up our homes for a dinner for somebody. Or maybe you have some sense of extravagant hospitality that you want to show. You know, throughout this series, we're talking about different saints, people that we see as saints in our own, people that I identify, Michael, and maybe you've heard of before. And so Martha, for me, is a saintly figure. But there's also another one. Her name is uh, Selena Hastings. And she is a, a great figure in our United Methodist tradition, one that you might not have ever even heard of, or maybe heard of by a different name. Selena was born Selena Shirley, she took the Hastings name when she married Theophilus Hastings, who was the Earl of Huntingdon in 1728, and she became the Countess of Huntingdon. Maybe you've heard that name before because I talk about it way too much, right? My alma mater, Huntingdon College, where Brianna and I went, and a number of, there's other people here in this room that go to our church who went to Huntingdon College, was named for Selena Hastings, the Countess of Huntingdon. This countess is remembered as, as one of the most charitable contributors of her day and age. After her husband's death, she gave over 100,000 pounds in the late 1700s, mid-1700s, which is millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars today. She helped financially support the establishment of the Foundling Hospital. She was heavily involved in foreign missions. She was the, one of the first significant financial and status backers of the Methodist movement. These, you know, rabble-rousers that were doing this revival work, the early Methodist John Wesley met Miss Hastings, and she was convinced that this guy knew what was going on. So much so that eventually she enlisted George Whitfield, who was an other early Methodist minister, to be her personal chaplain. 
She was a big contributor and influencer to Methodism becoming what it is today. But the story I love about her is that there was a time in which six students in Oxford were kicked out for their Methodist ways, for being a little bit too um, different, trying to start this revival of the spirit. And when they were punished for doing the thing that she believed in, she said, let me take you in. And she started a college of her own. Now, this wasn't Huntington College. This was a different college over in Wales, Trevecca College. But it was a training college for ministers. She said, I I have a lot to give, and you are in a hard way. Let me show you the hospitality that you are in so desperate need of. Let me welcome you in. I mean, think about this. This woman who could not be a minister herself because it was not allowed at the time, She thought so passionately about this Methodist movement that when those that felt called were crushed for feeling that calling, she said, let me show you hospitality. Let me welcome you in. Let me create for you a whole new school so that you can be trained to do the thing that you feel called to do. Martha shows us what wonderful hospitality looks like just to welcome somebody into our house. Selena Hastings shows us what extravagant hospitality can look like. These are two saints that I think we can look to and say, I, I want to be like them, but, but there's somebody else too. There's a third person I want us to consider this morning. This same vein of hospitality applies to, to the person named Meet Gies. Do you know who Meet Gies is? Maybe you've heard of this Austrian-born immigrant who moved in with a foster family or was a foster child taken in by a family in Amsterdam in 1922. She was taken in uh, because of the food shortage in Austria and her family couldn't support her. And so she herself was a recipient of gracious welcome and hospitality from another family to which she then belonged. When she was older, she became the accountant for a German company that was expanding into the Netherlands. And at this company, the, she became close friends with the, the general manager of this branch of the German company there in the Netherlands. His name was Otto Frank. Maybe you've heard of Otto Frank. Eventually World War II broke out and Amsterdam was occupied by the Nazis. And when that happened, Miepges, along with a few others, her husband and a couple friends, they took, in the, the respons- they took on the responsibility of taking care of, hiding and providing for Otto, his wife Edith, and their daughter, daughters, Margot and Anne. They provided for the Frank family for over two years. Think about that. Think about you are in, in, in an occupied area, and for two years you're hiding the Frank family plus a few of their friends from July 1942 to August 1944. For two years they risked their lives to show hospitality. To, to welcome in a family in desperate need. Now, eventually they were found out, they were betrayed, and those who were in hiding were taken to concentration camps. And only Otto Frank survived the brutality. But after the authorities took the families away, but before they ransacked the apartment, Meep Gies went up into the apartment, and in the desk drawer, she found a few diaries that the little girl Anne had written. And she saved them. And she never read them. And when Otto returned, Meep gave him the books. 
And she said that she had never read them. And after he read them, he was so glad that she hadn't because if she had, she would have had to burn them because it named all the co-conspirators. And because of the way that she welcomed them in and then her willingness to hold on to their story, Otto was able to take those diaries and then turn them into a book. And that's how we all know the story of Anne Frank. Martha showed that anybody can show hospitality. Anybody who just wants to welcome somebody in for dinner is acting like a saint. Selena Hastings showed us that some of us might be called to show extravagant hospitality. What is it that, that God is calling you to do above and beyond what you've been asked to do before? Or when you see a need that is greater than, than somebody can do for themselves, what is God calling you to do that is extravagant? But Mae Gee shows us that sometimes to show hospitality requires great bravery. Sometimes it calls us to overcome our fears, to put aside our own needs in order to do for others. I tell you these three stories and I celebrate these saints today because today's All Saints Sunday. On All Saints Sunday, we remember those that have gone on before us. We remember those that have gone on to glory, those that have moved from the here to the hereafter and become part of the great cloud of witnesses, those that we've loved and that we've lost. And the reason we know that this is true, the reason we affirm together every week that we believe in the communion of the saints is because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe that we are all the recipients because of the resurrection in the most transformational form of hospitality ever offered. You and I are the recipients of welcome into the kingdom of God. As we said a couple weeks ago, we're already getting glimpses of that. Every time we see Christ's work on earth, we see glimpses of eternity. And we were reminded of the reality that God has given us the ultimate form of hospitality. God has welcomed us into the kingdom of heaven. And we know that those that we have loved and those that we have lost are already experiencing the glory of eternity. And so today on All Saints Sunday, we look at those saints that remind us, what does it look like to be more like Christ? What does it look like to emulate God? And we see them, we say, it looks like showing somebody hospitality because that's what God has done for us. God has shown us the ultimate welcome. Welcome into my life. <laughs> welcome into the love and grace that goes beyond anything you can imagine. Welcome into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many rooms, and I go before you to prepare a place for you. Just as God has done, and Christ did, for all those who have gone on before us to glory. So today, as we celebrate the saints, as we think about the saintly qualities that we all want to emulate, let us remember those who have gone on who showed us hospitality? Who are the people in your life that welcomed you in a time when you needed it? Maybe it was this church because maybe you're in a moment right now where, where you're, you need somebody to welcome you and I want you to hear us say, welcome here. We love you. We are glad that you are here. If you are looking for a place to belong, I hope you don't have to look any farther. 
on this All Saints Sunday, I, I pray we remember and celebrate those who've given us the example of what it means to be a saint. And so this morning, as we prepare to come down for communion, we celebrate that ultimate communion. We participate in this table. We come down for this blessed sacrament because God has opened up the table for all of us. In the United Methodist Church, we do not believe that anybody is prohibited from coming forward to receive the grace of God through the communion elements. We participate in this holy communion because we know that we are part of the ultimate communion, the communion of the saints.